Welcome to a can. <laughs> holding it up to the mic. Welcome to Growing Up 80s, September 2020. It's a podcast where two friends talk about the things we loved as kids growing up in the 80s and that we still enjoy today. This time, we're talking about Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair. Oh, yeah. Hey, Darren, just a reminder to our listeners that we now have a Patreon page. So if you're interested in hearing exclusive mini bonus podcasts, is that what we call them? Yes. Extra special (laughs) bonus mini podcasts. Then uh, any level of support will get you extra hearing from us. Yeah, we'll talk at you more. Yeah. But let's talk about Tears for Fears today. So what do you got there in your hands there, Robin? Yeah, here, Darren, I have on vinyl record, Mm -hmm. Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair. It has two pouty looking guys on the front. What what do you think they're saying? They're saying, yeah, you thought that this wasn't going to amount to anything, but it is. It's it's very smug, isn't it? It is a little bit on the smug side. (laughs) It's two guys wearing their kind of sweater pullover things in black and white. Yep. It's Roland. And Kurt. And Kurt on the cover. But where's Ian and Murray? <laughs> I think it's we'll not get Murray. To, yeah, and Manny. Manny. Yeah. I think we'll get to that. All right. So this record is from, well, I've got here, 1985. That's right. Released on February 25th, 1985. Yeah. Oh, I was going to just throw some stats at you yeah. here. Recorded in 1984, Tears for Fears, uh, the album Songs from the Big Chair, an English pop new wave synth kind of thing going on with Roland Orzabal, the curly-haired dude on the cover. Yeah. The uh, kind of guitar player, lead singer, Kurt Smith, bass player, also a vocalist, lead vocalist on some songs, Ian Stanley, keys and uh, a composer on some songs, and Manny Elias on drums. Yeah, they're more of a band on this album than I realized. Yeah. It, it's more... So these guys, you know, they're, they're the image of Tears for Fears, but... Yeah. At that time, it's like they were actually relying, relying. They were actually collaborating a lot with, you know, their bandmates. And and they actually Mm -hmm. had a real keyboardist and a real drummer. That's right. And the songwriting credits include those guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. In fact, more than Kurt. Yeah, that's right. Kurt. Yeah, that's right. Kurt's a very competent bassist and he, he sings well on a few songs. Yeah. I always thought that Tears for Fears was mainly Roland and Kurt was the side guy, but it turns out that, you know, yeah, like you're saying, like the other guys in the bands were in the band were really contributing a lot to it. And, and they got even less of the limelight. <laughs> they sure did. Then, uh, yeah, it's like they were contributing more, but anyway, we're, we're not here to bash the band or oh, whatever, no, but no. yeah, it, it's, it's interesting how in retrospect, you know, like the, the way an image will be projected of sure. a band. Yeah. And then the reality of it is now, at least in Tears for Fears case, there's tons of talent in the the main two guys. Oh, yeah. So we, we've really jumped in. I think we have to back yeah. up a yeah, little. Yeah, let's back up a lot. So 
What are we doing, Darren? We are taking a look at one of the albums that we both really loved growing up in the 80s that really impressed upon us a lot and probably influenced some of our our taste and our style uh, for years to come. And that, man, this album sure stands up. We still love it today. I have a couple memories about this album I want to talk about. One is I can distinctly remember, like I, you remember I moved to Toronto. We're Mm -hmm. here in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and almost a thousand miles away is our capital, Toronto. Yep. And I moved there in 1985, the year this was released. And I have a super distinct memory of standing at the corner of Weston and Lawrence, okay, which is right near my school, yeah, and having shout stuck in my head and like singing it, I guess, just because, yeah. but I can't even have a Walkman or anything. Yeah. And I don't know why that stuck with me, but I can still, I'm still at that intersection, yeah, with this song oh, right stuck on. in my head. This would have been like grade six for us. We would have been, we would have been 12, 12 13 for years most yeah. of the and turning 13 in the yeah. fall. Now, of course. The single, um, the first single came out, I think, in like August or something, or November the year before, in 84, before the album was out. So we may even have some memories of of that coming from the year before because, you know, it was on the radio all over the place too. Yeah. And, and I think this is when, I think I was just starting to get my own musical identity. Yeah. Of course, we'd listen to music growing up yeah. or whatever. Yeah. There'd be stuff on the radio or stuff yes. uh, that my parents liked, like, I want to say Rick Springfield or something like that okay. or whatever. But the first time I think I started really getting into music on my own, it may have been this. This is one of those very oh, first yeah. albums that really grabbed me. Oh, that's cool. That I can remember buying on cassette, even yeah. though I remember owning on cassette. I actually don't yeah. remember what <laughs> buying it. Another thing I wanted to say about, I actually kind of rejected Tears for Fears. Did you go through a phase like this where... Oh, I don't think I did. Yeah, because, but it wasn't just Tears for Fears. It was all that I grouped into this kind mm. of pop yep. synth. I embraced that and I continued to embrace that. that. <laughs> but for me, I was like, I got into Midnight Oil yeah. and we, we have the Midnight Oil oh, yeah. podcast, of course. And I got into Neil Young. Yeah. Then I got into like grunge and I sure. got into this alternative rock and I wanted music real. made with real instruments. I wanted real music. Yeah. 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 And during that time I was, you know, all these sweater wearing, <laughs> keyboard playing. Pouty bouffant. Pout, yeah. That whole stuff <laughs> for a while, I rejected it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. Sometimes they say, you know, whatever music you're into when you're 13 or whatever, mm-hmm. that's what you're going to love your whole life. Yeah. Not so much for me because I, I threw away most of that and haven't come back to most of it. Right. But this album, Tears for Fears, yep. and this album, I've totally come back to. Well, and the thing with this album is, say we haven't listened to it for a few months or a year or something like that. And you think about the album, you think about, yeah, synth and sequenced stuff and all that. But when you listen to it, 
there's a lot of real honest to goodness musicality rock and roll jazz some there's sophisticated stuff happening in this album yes yeah this has yes very sophisticated songwriting at times instrumentation and yes real instruments all over the place yeah Let me just tell you a few more stats about things, and then maybe we want to actually talk about some of the songs. Yeah. So we said this was like uh, released in February of 85, went to number two in the UK, never quite hit number one in the UK, but in Canada and in the States, um, Germany, Netherlands, all over the world and other places, it did reach number one. Yeah. So this was a a big album at the time. Um, The original album title was going to be The Working Hour, you know, from yeah. the, the second track there, I think. But uh, Roland wanted to change it to songs from the big chair. And I'm sure you've read up on this too. Um, that being inspired by the movie Sybil about a woman dealing with multiple personality disorder and only feeling comfortable being sitting in her her psychotherapist's big chair. chair yeah, yeah, where she can just kind of be herself and, and let it out. And... Um, I didn't, I didn't know this first listening to the album, but uh, doing a little bit of reading before and, and while I'm listening to it this time through, it's like, oh, I can see these motifs coming through all over the place, like the psychoanalysis type thing. And in particular, I think Roland was into primal scream therapy at the time. Did <laughs> wow. you read about this? I did actually read about yeah, that one. Yeah, I did. So like if... if now that you're aware of it, if you're like listening through and, and watching the lyrics and stuff, you're going to say, oh, they got a little bit of primal scream therapy going yeah, on there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he... Well, even the title Shout, right? Yeah, even exactly. The, yeah. yeah. So he he advocated for changing the album title um, to Songs from the Big Chair. The producer of the album, uh, Chris Hughes, otherwise known as Merrick, that's kind of his stage ha- name. Handle. Handle, yes. I don't know. <laughs> he was a drummer for Adam and the Ants. Yeah, yeah, I was reading about that. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. He's worked with lots of really interesting folks. Robert Plant, Paul McCartney, Peter Gabriel, Rick Ocasek, Tori Amos, Enya. You know, I think I hear a little bit of Enya production values coming (laughs) through on some of these songs. Wang Chung. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He said that really well. Thank you. And and he co-wrote Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Yeah. So... But, you know, we, we understand, I think, a little bit about producers. Yes. You know, and, and that's kind of sometimes part of their job. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, how to make this song work, yeah. how to get this thing done. Yeah, a band wants to bring a producer on that, that can help not only with orchestration and musicality, but sometimes with lyrics and stuff like that, too. Yeah, and apparently Chris Hughes even played drums oh, on yeah. Shout. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's some cool. of that, I guess, some of those big fills. Yeah. And- yeah. Everything, yeah. Oh, neat. That's really cool. Apparently, he uh, met the band when they were bopping around a vegetarian discotheque. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's the story that Roland, Roland gives about it. Um, the album was recorded at the Wool Hall, which is a residential recording studio near Bath. So kind of like one of those house studio type things, an old house studio. Um, the Smiths recorded their last album there, Annie Lennox, Joni Mitchell, The Pretenders. Um, all recorded there. Wow. Yeah. And as we were saying, you know, um, lots of 
like the whole band contributed to the album, but most of the songs were composed by um, Roland Orzabal and Ian Stanley, the the keyboard player. Yeah, the keyboard player. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like we were starting to get uh, when we we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Ian Stanley actually contributed, as far as I can tell, a lot more than Kurt Smith. Yeah, it seems did. like it. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I don't know. Did you watch any of the the videos from like '85, like just the MTV type thing, the Much Music videos? Yeah, the pink sweaters weren't really working for me. No, did you watch the video for uh, Head Over Heels in the library? We'll talk about it later. Then. Oh, I'm trying to remember if but, I watched that one. Yeah, like. Ian, not, re- not recently. Yeah. Ian Stanley, you know, features prominently in the video. And it's like, man, you're the, you're the odd man out for this band. Like he's like big and buff and he's got like the stubble all over and wearing the leather jacket. <laughs> and he looks like this tough macho guy with all these sweater wearing other fellas <laughs> in the band. Yeah. So yeah, not not the guy that I was expecting to be like one of the main creative forces behind it, but yeah. you know, just goes to show looks aren't everything. Yes. You can wear a leather jacket <laughs> and be a very competent songwriter yeah. and composer. Yeah, actually this is a slight diversion. This reminds me how some of those other English bands from the era, like Simple Minds, yeah. are actually much more real musicians with real instruments yeah. than you think. And I don't know if I've ever said this one before, but Duran Duran, who I totally rejected, sure. you know, for just being... Oh, I'm looking around for my albums, my Duran Duran albums, Have but they're not, they're not here right now. <laughs> they're still... I, I thought they were absolutely fake music as well. 100% mm-hmm. sequenced, you know, just some computer yeah. that I didn't like, like an Atari ST was <laughs> was playing their entire thing right yeah but it turns out that like john taylor in particular the bassist like you know bass is my instrument yeah those bass lines in duran duran songs that sound like they're right out of a machine are a real live dude mm-hmm. who can do that stuff yeah amazing yeah amazing so full once it wasn't until like the youtube era that I discovered that there's a real human playing that stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, this changes All things. All this new wave synth wave stuff isn't really just synth and computers doing it all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's cool. I am a real human. I play bass guitar. You mentioned that you've got your your vinyl copy of the album here. Yeah. Um, I've got it on CD somewhere, but I wasn't able to dig it out for the podcast. I remember you having the cassette version of it. Yes. But you don't think that you still have the cassette version yeah, anymore. Yeah, I don't know where. I lost a lot of cassettes somewhere, somehow. Yeah, well, that's too bad. But then I, I remember buying a CD version of it mm-hmm. when CDs were commonly at, like, Superstore or whatever, you know, the, the big yeah. grocery store. Yeah. They just have this bin of five dollar cds or whatever i'd be like oh yeah and i saw songs for the big chair yeah so i I grabbed that in you know the early 2000s i think okay and then i found this vinyl copy uh for a long time thunder bay had no record shops at all yeah and then suddenly we had two independent record stores so i went through there and they had it for 10 bucks yeah in really nice shape so i bought that probably 
probably 10 years ago. Yeah, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, yeah. There's like eight songs on the original pressing of it. We've got Shout the Working Hour, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Mother's Talk, and then Side 2 has I Believe, Broken Head Over Heels, and Listen. So just eight songs, yeah. which is, you know, a little bit. You might think, oh, that's not very much, but some of these songs are really long. Oh, yeah. Even even the short songs uh, are like four minutes, yeah. well, except for with one exception. And there are six and seven minute songs oh, on yeah. this. Yeah. That's nutty, eh? Yeah. And, and about, you mentioned side one and side two. Yes. On the actual record, they're called... Uh, oh. You know how some records, uh, instead of calling them side one, side two, or side A, a side B, B, yeah, they think of more creative names. Okay. This might be the first time I saw this. It says part one and part two. Oh, interesting. You know, because to that to me fits with the storytelling sure. aspect of it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not it's not a huge deal, but I, I like those kind of details. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. I was going to say, my memory of this from um, back in the day is your cassette copy of it. And we were up in your uh, bedroom, and Robin's house was kind of like a split level. So you'd kind of come in on the ground floor, and then you could kind of go up half a set of stairs to the upstairs. So it was kind of like the second floor, but not like super high up on the second floor. But we're up on the second floor, facing the street. And I remember having... Looking out my window. Looking out the window, playing this on your little cassette player. Well, not your little cassette player, but your boombox, your little boombox really loud and and i don't know if that was something that i was doing that sounds like something that i would do i'd come over to your house and play music really loud out the window at your neighborhood or something like that but yeah i just remember thinking you know this is such an exciting album it needs to be played loud out robin's bedroom window we're gonna gonna inflict this on the neighborhood (laughs) yeah yeah i i didn't remember that it was this album but i do remember us Doing yeah. that, yeah. yeah, opening the window up and <laughs> playing music, <laughs> playing music out it from the neighborhood. <laughs> the album itself starts with "Shout." wasn't the first single out released. It was a second single released, but it was released in November of '84, and uh, it went um, all the way to number one in in the U.S. and Canada and Australia. I think it went to only went to number two in the U.K. Um, a long song, six minutes and over six and a half yeah, minutes. Six and long. a half, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they cut it down to four minutes for the single. And this is a a Roland Orzabal and Ian Stanley song. Roland is singing the lead vocals. I have a hard time when I'm listening to Tears for Fears. Their their voices are very distinct sounding, but I still get Kurt and Roland mixed up when I'm listening to them. Oh yeah. 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 To me it's it's surprising. They both have very soulful kind of yeah. voices. And I feel like there's some kind of tradition, which I'm probably not aware of, really, mm-hmm. but but of English men who sing. Uh, it almost sounds like a black kind yeah, of... Yeah, sure. Um, it's that blue-eyed soul kind y- of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, uh, Rick Astley. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Rick Astley is kind of from that tradition. Yeah, he's got that deep, full, round voice. And, yeah. and these guys have it too. Yeah, it's yes. really smooth and, yeah, full. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. I When I listen to the album, I don't think there's two different guys singing here. Yeah. 
uh, which I guess made Kurt even more replaceable. Like when when uh, sure. you know, when they did split up yeah. uh, after, uh, and for a while Roland carried on the band solo. Yeah, but you have to admit that it seems that they did lose something when yeah when Kurt left the band because they yeah you you had uh, was it uh, sowing the seeds of love was the album title the last one they did together and yeah. then they split and then it's like. I don't, I never picked up any of the other albums. I don't remember no. them being, being hits at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're back together though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah they are. And, um, Kurt and his daughter did a, a collaboration on YouTube a few months ago. And yes. I, I just noticed that recently and I thought, oh yeah, that's really cool to, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. And actually while we're talking about that, there is, uh, it's, it's a Spotify special, but they made a video mm-hmm. where they got, Tears for Fears to tell their stories okay. about the songs. Oh, right on. So they and they perform them in super high quality live. I'm I'm putting quotes around live because when I watch that, they're de- they're absolutely performing it. Yeah. I left some comments about it pointing out sometimes where it didn't really look like they were actually doing uh-huh. what you watch. But but anyway, okay, what I want to say is it's an excellent experience watching them perform mm-hmm. the songs. I am certain that they went back and did some studio work sure. to make it sound better. Yep. But overall, I believe it's like a, it is a live performance yeah. bed track. Yeah. yeah. And they're doing it with a very small studio. But then they also do tell these stories between. And the one story, while I'm remembering it, uh, is just... When they went to this album, when they started Tears for Fears, they were in another band previously mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. and they quit that band because they hated touring so much. They just didn't like touring. Oh, yeah. They wanted to just be studio nerds where they could just go record their studio album, yeah. and then just the money rolls in, right? <laughs> no no touring. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, they're saying this on stage in front of their audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um but apparently that was an impetus for that's part of why this band started that they okay. they really liked the studio they really liked the songwriting and that's what they wanted they didn't want that road life okay let's before we get into the songs any more then yeah. there's something else i want to talk about is the fact that these guys are not guns and roses <laughs> these guys are not metallica they are not like Except for Ian, the keyboard player. They're not like these hyper macho, tough guy folks, right? And, you know, you mentioned them wanting to be music nerds, hanging out in the studio, doing their stuff. And it's like, as a computer nerd from the 80s, I felt like I could relate to these guys perhaps more than I could relate to other bands. Even Duran Duran maybe people would say, oh, you know, those fancy pants Duran Duran people. Yeah. But they're always like on like the luxury yachts with the babes with, and everything yeah, like that. Like, women, yeah. You know, that's <laughs> in- intimidating to a, a yeah. young nerd like myself. And yeah. and these guys didn't exude that that kind of thing. And I felt, oh, you know, I can get behind this band or I can relate to these guys. Yeah. They seem to be my kind of of guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I think there is something to that. And maybe the rejection of them for a while yeah, also played into that where, no, I want 
I want to identify with manliness sure. and with, yeah. I don't know, whatever, yeah. with rebellion or yeah. with, yeah. Um, but I think I was ignorant to the lyrical themes in this album mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. and now I listen, and there is a lot of rebellion. There, There's a lot, uh, not, not necessarily rebellion. Yeah, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's passion, there's wanting to stand up against things but there's not like that violence and i'm gonna kick your face in oh, yeah. to to get what i want type thing right yeah. yeah yes yeah like there's there's a way of expressing uh i think i just said passion um but without without that violence without like in your face anger and and even shout here it's not like you're just screaming shout shout the whole time like the delivery of that vocal is even you know it's calm it's yeah. like like when you listen to it, shout, like they're saying it, but they're not yelling it at you. They're not screaming it at you. Yeah. They're not shouting it at you, yeah. <laughs> but they're getting the feeling, the the passion, the rejection out without getting all nuts so wild though. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and this album was kind of an introduction to what UK society is like, like what English mm. society is like which also got echoed gradually um to me which I, I gradually got to understand through reading the uk computer magazines and the uk um the the whole way that our old computers lived on like the c64 lived on longer there mm-hmm. in part because of the poverty and because of the Everything that there is about the society there. Yeah, it's it's not as, I don't want to say it's not as assertive, but it's not as in your face and as brash as some North American, perhaps just plain old American society would be. Yeah. And that's generalizing, of course. It is, but, it yeah. is generalizing, but <laughs> uh, yeah, there isn't the same affluence and the same, the same feeling of freedom mm-hmm. uh, and you know, money could buy. Of course, there's poverty everywhere in the yeah. world. and But I, I think the songs really convey that kind of uh, restrictive attitude. Mm-hmm. You can kind of feel it in a lot of the songs. Yeah. Like Mother's Talk. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so on. Yeah. yeah, right on. Okay, so let's talk about Shout a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I have a couple quotes from Roland about the song. He says that he stole a rhythm track from a Talking Heads track, and then he had this ominous bass synth sound, and I was dancing about with it, and suddenly it hit me from the outer cosmos all at once. Shout. <laughs> so apparently that's where it came came from uh, another account of the story is they were actually trying to create something more of a, a sing-along beatles-like anthem along the lines of give peace a chance or or hey jude so they started with the chorus with the shout chorus and then yeah. built the song around that yeah and and this song does start with the chorus mm-hmm. you know a lot of lost songs don't start yeah with that's the chorus, right but yeah this one does 
Yeah, so I had my my daughter, Rihanna, is now working on her master's degree in music therapy. Yeah. But she, you know, she's got her... Well, this is a perfect album for her then. Music degree, yes. <laughs> yeah, she actually enjoyed listening to it with me uh, quite a bit. And she wasn't very aware of them and does, I think she thinks quite highly of them now. Cool. Um, so some of the nerdy info, like the <laughs> the key signatures sure, and stuff, yeah. she helped me with because she just listens and says. Yeah. <laughs> it's really easy for her. So yeah, this song's in G minor. A lot of a lot of the songs on this album are in minor keys okay, for yeah. what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's also sometimes hard to figure out what key they're in because of the type of chords they use. Mm-hmm. You were you mentioned jazz earlier. Yeah. There is a lot of jazz influence on this album. Mm-hmm. It's not your your pop one four five yeah. kind of yeah. you know major <laughs> for for you guys who aren't music theory nerds just. A lot of your straightforward rock songs are built just on three chords. Yeah. And um, this this album uses a lot more. <laughs> I was trying to remember the Bono quote. All you need is three chords and the truth. And the truth, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> a few things that I really enjoy, of course, is uh, the big full drums that come in like towards i guess the middle of the song on the album track they're just kind of hammering away on all those toms there very very exciting stuff there because a lot of the songs are built on what seems to be like a sequenced track of of percussion type sounds and and so it's nice when the big real drums come in I was actually watching a live performance of them from from the documentary that they put out. Is it called Scenes from the Big Chair oh, or something like that? I, something they, yeah. they had some play on on the title. The drummers there playing, and like you can tell, like they've got. Well, even when you were talking about how they were doing that live thing, yeah, um, and you know, just picking some some stuff out, you've got to have that sequence track running. And so the poor drummer's just sitting there, and he's playing on his hi hats. Like that's basically what he's doing for a lot of the song. And as a drummer, I find that really difficult to do. Yeah. You know, just kind of keeping up with that. But then, yeah, you kind of come in and boom, boom, ba, boom, ba, 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 ba. Yeah, it's got this really nice synth that comes in during the verse. Mm. That's like a, a counter melody, and it's got this reedy, really yeah. nice reedy synth. Yeah, and um, and it's playing its own distinct counter melody. Mm-hmm. It, it's doing a different thing, but keeps it going. This is actually a fairly simple strong with lots of repetition and not uh, not very complicated song structure-wise, mm-hmm. but they keep introducing new yeah, elements right. yeah. throughout the song. Like you can you can go for six and a half minutes on this <laughs> simple song because yeah, like different things are added all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like that guitar solo that comes oh, in yeah. there. Oh, ripping. I don't know how to describe it. Lots of, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. There's some really great guitar playing on this album. 
And that's another kind of surprise mm -hmm. where they're here's a bunch of keyboards, but here's a bunch of real big percussion. Yep. Here's real guitar solos. Yeah. A surprising amount of distortion at times mm -hmm. and just big guitars. Yeah. Yeah. And and the bass is all really tight and maybe not melodic all over the place, yeah. but just really tight and punchy and funky. And I really like it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. There's also a really nice uh, bridge that's kind of like a breakdown or something. Yeah. The breakdown is awesome. Yeah. So the bass is doing a really cool thing and the synth is doing a really cool yeah. thing. I never noticed towards the end, there are some vocals really low in the mix. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've always been listening to those. Yeah. It's, it's a, I believe, a female okay. vocalist just going yep. to town. Yeah. Under, yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not like necessarily she's saying things with like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. So perhaps a first instance of primal scream therapy. Yeah. 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 yeah maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and it's funny that this song kind of cheaps out with the fade-out ending. Yeah. But it does seem like a difficult song to end. Yeah. It just goes and goes. Well, it's eh? like a give peace a chance type thing, too. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? You just keep on going and <laughs> yeah. going and going. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, like the song just builds, 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 builds all the way through. And then, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it does make sense that they just kind of fade it out. Yeah. <laughs> The Working Hour, and this one is written by our good friend Manny Elias, the drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the credits here have Orzabal yeah. and Stanley okay. and Manny. Okay, so maybe yes. I wrote down Manny as, hey, pay attention, Manny's actually <laughs> participating in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a fun one, too. It's got, like, this extended intro yeah. going on for almost two minutes before you get going on things and then the saxophone shows up and then you've got the drums kind of coming in but it, it's not it's not like this kick hat snare type thing it's like this this nice tom pattern thing happen on there and then the piano joins in as well yeah like this real moody atmospheric thing going on yeah it it's and there's harp. You didn't. You oh, didn't there's mention, there's a harp. Yeah, I think there's a harp going. And like to me, the intro is like saxophone and harp. Oh, maybe that's more Enya <laughs> stuff coming from the producer Chris. Yeah. So yeah, that whole intro is in C sharp minor, and and this track is also six and a half minutes long. So long. Yeah, but like you say, yeah, two like two minutes of intro. So that's you know not that outrageous when you think about yeah. a track that long so as a kid yeah i found this difficult this was like mm. this was hard listening we were coming off a show this yeah. easy accessible yeah big song yeah and that goes off into sax and harp yeah territory i'm like what do i do with this i yeah. guess i guess i'll hang in there because everybody wants to rule the world is coming in six and a half minutes. <laughs> right. I just, just hold on. I could keep playing my tape. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like maybe because we were listening on tape back in the day, <laughs> we weren't as apt to fast forward to the next song. But yeah, as much as 
listening to this, it's like, yeah, I remember listening to this as a kid and this wasn't necessarily my thing, but I don't have recollection of like fast forwarding through it ever. Yeah. I think I mostly stuck with it and it's kind of like now I super appreciate this Mm -hmm. song, but then it was like, this album was really about three or four catchy hits and then weird filler between this is at, again yeah. this is me as as a kid as a 12 or 13 year old uh trying to appreciate this now i think oh this is where that's kind of like some of the genius of this album sure yeah yeah okay tell me what does rihanna or what do you hear like is there a key change like does does the intro go on for two minutes in a particular key and then yeah, so- maybe even start the song and then a key change into the chorus or does it start with a chorus but that it key changes into yeah it's in c sharp minor for that whole intro uh, for like minutes mm-hmm. and then it goes into either e minor or g major just when the verse, like when he's about to start singing yeah. the verse. It's hard to pin down. A song could be in G major or mm-hmm. is it in E minor, right? Yeah, the relative yeah. minor. So it's the same thing here where it's hard to pin down what it is um, because of the choice of chords. Okay. Yeah. And and that goes back to C sharp Meyer for the bridge. So yes, right. the, there definitely is something oh, yeah. different happening there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, just yeah. kind of wakes you up from that saxophone slumber. Yeah, <laughs> and then later in the song, there's a saxophone solo where it seems to go yeah. to F, F sharp minor. Okay. how much we we dug this particular song when we were kids we put up with it or if it if it was you know somewhat interesting for our brain or something like that but i'm just wondering like we weren't particularly angsty teenagers no i i I don't think that i was but like a song like this on an album like this kind of makes you think hey i'm listening to some sophisticated mature music maybe there's a little bit more depth to my soul than i originally thought we're we're feeling all uh we're all, all pompous and yeah we're all pompous and snooty that, because yeah. we're listening to the second track on. yeah it's like we don't skip the work yet i listen to that that's right well i wonder though if there was you know if there was a little bit of something to that at least for me, like, you know, hey, good for me for listening through this boring adult music. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there, maybe I'm maturing or something yeah. as I listen to this yeah, kind of it, stuff. It's like it was mostly boring, so to speak, but then at least the chorus kind of but, soars. But yeah, and... at the same time, it, it wasn't boring. This this is an interesting, like listening to it now, it's like, this oh, is yeah. totally an interesting song. My brain must have been hitting, like it must have been knocking into my brain and at least causing it some sort of problems that would stretch it and poke it and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Hey, maybe Even they, though I would recognize it as just, oh, it's that saxophone song. Maybe we wouldn't have become musicians if it wasn't for listening to The Working Hour. Thank maybe. you. There is a really nice ending. This song does not fade out. The sax really brings it down really beautifully. And uh, everything kind of dry, you know, dries out. Dries up. <laughs> <laughs> um Everything kind of winds up yeah. and just the saxophone leads 
bleeds out at the end. It's really quite nice. The third single to come out of this album in March of 1985, winning the Best British Single Award for the year, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Um, Orzabal, Stanley, and Hughes wrote it, and Kurt Smith taking the lead vocals on this one. Finally, he contributes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was expecting you to have high praise for his bass playing and stuff like that and, and really laud him. I appreciate some of the bass lines on this album yeah. are good bass lines. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not necessarily the type of bass line that you would play as a bass player. Uh, well, a couple of those yeah. are very good bass lines. Yeah. That's what I want to say. Oh, they, okay, they, yeah. Are, yeah. they are very good bass lines. Yeah, yeah. cool. So yeah, um, the song starts with the, this pumping synth and bass type thing going on. Kind of the shuffle, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and so like Kurt's playing along with that, even though they've got like the... the the synth keys really going in on that as well, right? I, I would assume so. Yeah, I would yeah. think so too. Even and and this is one of those songs where Manny, he's you know he's at the very least he's playing the hi hats <laughs> until it's his his time to shine halfway through or something like that. <laughs> e flat major, and yeah, is that it, the saddest of keys? It it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's B flat. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and you you picked up on the hi hats playing those triplets. Yeah, kind of. There's uh. A triplet feel to yeah. my hats, yeah. This is one of those songs on the album, again, that, that made me feel like I could participate in that passionate and I'll, I'll say angry or protesty type music without having to be macho and tough. Or I think, you know, at, at the time, there's also like, I remember like some of our friends like, hey, you know, those those hardcore metal or <laughs> the hardcore punk kind of guys, you yeah. know, like I didn't have to, I could still be a nerd and relatively quiet without having to have safety pins in my earlobes or whatever like that. <laughs> my earlobes. <yeah. laughs> I don't know where yeah, you put yeah. your safety pins, <laughs> but still feel like I'm, I can feel angry and passionate <laughs> with music too thank you tears for fears yeah. <laughs> very nice <laughs> good, for you, good for you Darren. i'm glad that it was an outlet for you i forgot to say on the working hour yeah there were multiple saxophone players on that album oh were there really Isn't that amazing i right? did not know that william gregory yep and mel collins okay and jerry Murata who not only played drums on it along with Manny mm-hmm. also helped with the saxophone arrangements. Oh, so really? it was like, a, okay, we're all in this. When I was watching the documentary scenes from the big chair, whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, Will was out on tour with them as well. And like, Will was probably 12 years old or something. <laughs> At least he looked like it when, when he was out touring with them on this one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then now back to everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. Multiple guitar solos. Yeah. And so the first one I think is Roland. And yeah. it's kind of like a chord-based kind of solo. Like yeah. these, you know, little three and four note kind of riffs yeah. or riff-based solo. Yeah. 
guest, musician Neil Taylor, played the second solo. That's a real kind of shredding. Okay. Yeah, well, a real yeah. melodic, single note kind of guitar solo. Neil Taylor, English guitarist, best known for his longtime affiliation with Robbie Williams and formerly being a member of Tears for Fears. Oh, yeah, so he was I wonder, actually in I wonder the band if he was for... in the band or if like he was just like a touring yeah, member. Yeah, touring, yeah. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, and, and the one other thing to talk about is that there's a, everybody wants to rule the world has a great bridge. Mm-hmm. And it almost sounds like a key change or something, but I think it's shifting instead of being like the root chord, they, they just do that old four. This is trip. like an inversion type thing? Yeah, I think they just go to like the four. Okay, which it, is not an inversion. Not an inversion. It's just <laughs> that trick where if you're in like C yeah. and hey on C and G a lot, and then you finally play that F, mm-hmm. the four. Yeah. Wow. Something new. It's just a big lift. Yeah. How long is this song? Four minutes. Four, four t- minutes. Four ten, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's not... Not too too bad, yeah. Um, of of the songs on this album, "Shout" and "Everybody Wants to Rule the World," I think you know those probably battle for the single from the album. Oh yeah, and of course this one, the the best single of of the year award. Although you know when I being away from the album for a while and then and thinking about it, I'm expecting these to be even bigger and more anthemic than they are. And and while they are, there there really is a nice subdued I don't know if you want to say subdued quality. That's what I said. There there is a a calmness to the to the anthemic. Is that a word? <laughs> anthemic yeah, of the songs. Yeah, they're they're mostly what what's the word? Uh yeah, you said subdued. Did yeah, you say subdued? restraint. Yeah, maybe? restraint. They they show some they show some restraint. Yeah, most of these songs. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Coming off of that, we've got Mother's Talk, which was actually the first single that they released way back in August of '84. Seems like a strange, yeah, strange thing to in do. Hindsight, right? but maybe that's. Did they even know what their album was named when they released this song? Right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like were they still thinking this was going to be the working hour? Yeah. Yeah. A weird one for a single. Oh, yeah. Because it's a weird song. Yeah, well, it's, it's over five minutes. Yeah. It has that big intro with like... It's like an orchestra. Yeah. Or like or like synth orchestra stab. Well, yeah, yeah, there's orchestra going on and there's those stabs going in. Yeah. 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 Kind of a combination of sort of real-ish strings, strings or something. Or yeah. something. And um, yeah, and that chromatic line where like it's these hits yeah. that keep descending yeah. chromatically. Yeah. Meaning like rather than following the scale, they're they're hitting every single note there is. On the way down. On yep. the way down. That's right. <laughs> Not a rock and roll rhythm or anything coming in there. Those I don't know if they're bongos or just some weird percussion things going on, but they're they're pretty loud and they're in there. Yeah, credited to Orzabal and Stanley. 
Okay. So you could see this yeah. being very much, and actually, um, apart from a credit for backing vocals to Stevie Lane, there's no other in, uh, musicians credited on oh, this. Oh, really? So it sounds like it very Those much are... was created in the box, yeah. so to speak. It's it's a it's a very keyboard. Yep. Drum machine. Drum machine kind yeah. of generated song. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. What I really like about the song is towards the end, like you get about three and a half minutes in and it's kind of like the song ends and then it comes back with the bass and some drums and stuff. And like 12, 13 year old Darren is thinking, oh, this is cool computery kind of, they're trying to make computer noises <laughs> with the basses and all this stuff. And it's really nerdy and neat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's got that super chromatic bass riff yeah. over and over, and these huge drums that sound like they're in this cavern or yeah, something, right? yeah, like yeah. with the, the echo. And so you don't think that those were real drums, eh? You think that those were still all part of the... Oh, those could be real drums. Yeah. Just I, I, all I'm saying is that there were no other guest okay. musicians. Oh, it's okay. not like they right. brought gotcha. in like a real orchestra. Right, right. Okay, I understand yeah. what you mean. No, no, it, it very well may be real drums, but yeah. just just the band. Yeah, I guess I had this thing with music when I was younger. Like I remember thinking about this, listening to like Van Halen's 1984 <laughs> too. Thinking, you know, like I'm a robot and I've got my Walkman with my tape on, and this is like computer programming music going into my ears and stuff like that <laughs> just putting it out there and i can totally you know even though i'm in high school at this point i can see myself just really being into okay it's it's chromatic you're hitting all the notes but it's like kind of stuff's like oh yeah I program my brain yeah <laughs> i don't know what to do that. i don't know what to say but yeah, and again, the song sounds like it's in E, probably minor. Um, there are those female background vocals. Yeah. So, yeah, this this album brings... I, I don't know a lot about these uh, guest vocalists, mm. but they all seem to be talented in kind of the jazz tradition. Sure. And probably are talented improvisers who can work within a structure and yeah. make make up something new because there's a lot of interesting vocal contribution, not just this song mm -hmm. where they probably weren't told note for note mm. what to sing. Right. Yeah. And, and not even given lyrics a lot of the time they're singing, mm -hmm. you know, vowel sounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that also is kind of that jazz kind yeah. of that scat tradition sure. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 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 I wonder if it would be a, big stretch to say that some of what they're doing is almost like uh, prog rock or progressive kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know much about math rock. I'm, I'm still kind of stuck on that bass thing going on at the end of the song here. Like to me that maybe that's like math rock is, is that what math rock can sometimes be like, or is that just like a form of prog or what's going on there? But yeah, it, it certainly is not your regular kind of catchy, simple pop stuff yes it's it's, it's not something you'd want to release as a single yeah not or normally <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's kind of difficult music yeah yeah speaking of 
jazzy stuff, yeah. I Believe, is yeah. the next track up. Yeah, so now we're over flipping the record over onto to part, part two. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Oh, oh and just one oh, other yeah, thing. Go ahead. The second side is pretty much a suite of yeah. songs yeah, it where is, everything eh? transitions mm-hmm. into the next. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're speaking of this whole side as being a suite. Yeah. And... I'll just I'll just say it now because I already started talking about it. Broken was its own thing where they um, inserted head over heels into the middle of it. It was actually head over heels was developed as kind of like a bridge almost um, in this broken sequence that they were trying to do, and then it turned into this big song. And so um, I had to learn that this week. That this week I learned that no, they're not quoting this great single that they're coming out with in broken, but actually head over heels quotes broken, but we're not yeah. talking about that right now. Yeah. We're talking about, I believe, <laughs> we'll talk about I believe the first. jazz, jazzy tones. Yeah. Yeah. It starts very sparse intro with just piano mm-hmm. and jazz drums. Yeah. And, and like brushes. Like, yeah. And is it even kind of like a, maybe a backwards doing a little bit of a backwards uh, echo type thing on them too. Seems kind of sounds to be like something, something like that. On, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And this is some of the most soulful singing. Yes. On the album. Yeah. Uh, this is right into that Rick Astley kind of territory. Yeah. This was the primal scream song on the album. So even though he's not actually yelling about it, I think that, that throughout this whole second side, at least with this song and then broken, for sure, um, you're really kind of getting into that. Maybe, maybe I can just touch briefly on what primal scream therapy is. I, I want to hear about the Darren version. I remember hearing about primal scream therapy, like way back when. So I, I looked it up, and apparently, this is a type of therapy where you yell a whole lot to try to. I will say like raise release <laughs> release. Yeah. Or, or recount traumatic memories um, that are suppressed inside you. And so it's a, apparently it's, you know, it's this good thing that you scream and then you relive and you re-experience all the stuff and you get it out. And apparently most of the psychological community says that that's just a whole bunch of hooey <laughs> anyway, but Roland was into this because apparently John Lennon was big time into this uh, about this time. And um, being a big fan of the Beatles and John Lennon, he was exploring this. And so you've got I Believe and Broken and, yeah, songs from the big chair. It's all this yeah. different kind of therapy, mental therapy going on here. Yeah, And so apparently that's what he was going for with I Believe. Cool. But it's a very subdued song yeah nice and easy going yeah probably another hard one for us as kids to listen to but again i don't remember yeah fast forward and through it or anything to me this is like well we got our two we got shout and everybody wants to rule the world on the first side on, mm-hmm. in part one yeah and then part two well i'll hang in there for head over heels yeah. so i can sing that chorus that's right <laughs> When the hurting and the pain has gone, we will be strong. Oh yes, we will be strong. 
it's interesting how several times the song will just go almost completely silent. Mm -hmm. There'll just be pauses, interesting percussion that I can't really identify at times. And the verses will just kind of end with a little, you know, like a, a saxophone solo will, yeah. will well up. Thank you for that, William. And yes. And these fluttering sounds kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and right. I don't know if they are backward symbols or mm -hmm. what. Um. And the song's kind of like in B-flat, which is a very sad, sad key. Mm -hmm. But this song has so many different chords in it. It's like totally a jazz. Okay, yeah. Like, I was asking you, how many chords is that now? You know, is that 8, 9, 10, 11, something <laughs> yeah. like that? You know, yeah. it's just, even though it's this, it feels like a simple song mm -hmm. because of sparseness. Yeah. Uh, chord, like structurally... Harmonically, yeah, it is not simple. Yeah, it, it seems simple. It it seems peaceful. It's it's kind of lullaby esque almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I believe is dedicated to Robert Wyatt if he's listening. Ooh, that's what it says here. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder, like an old friend or something like that, or yeah, or a scream therapist, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> So, the, yeah, this song does end with this chord, but it has a neat transition mm. into Broken. And yeah. There's our transition. So Broken is actually a really cool song. Um, it's like if you were to, to say, hey, what's, uh, what are some of the good songs on Songs from the Big Chair? I wouldn't immediately come up with Broken, but I really like Broken. It's, kinda, it's, it's a really kind of neat thing that's going on here. One of my top tracks. The attack of the bass line at the very beginning of the song is, is so cool. And then there's a lot of relatively heavy guitars and like really neat I don't know. I'll call it '80s guitar work, like riffs and licks and stuff yes. going on in the song. Yeah, where it's like, oh, he's the edge too. Like, yeah. there's lots of edges here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and I understand why this wasn't released as a single because it's in like it's got like a super long introduction, right? And it doesn't seem to be rock and roll single material, but it's, it's a, it is a rockin' song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's it really probably the drives. most rockin' song on this album, yeah, actually. Yeah. And so I mentioned, you know, it, it pre-quotes that head over heels lick or does it, you know, really head over heels is quoting the lick from, yes. from broken, but yeah, it goes into like almost two minutes before you get the vocals coming in and yeah, and actually the whole song is only two and a half minutes. Yeah. And you're right, two minutes of intro, finally that broken verse is sung. Yeah. And then we're off into head over heels yeah, almost that, right away. That's right, yeah. So just a couple other things. Sure. Yeah, that, that intense guitar solo. Yeah, it's an A minor. 
Yeah. There's an interesting, very dissonant synth line under it, even though, as Rihanna said, there's more conventional tonality. Ooh, conventional tonality. In the main song, before the singing, but there's there's this synth doing this quoting head over heels, yeah. but in a dissonant way. Okay, so not, it's not the same yeah, it, melody? It may be the same melody bent into a different key. Oh, cool. So to speak. Yeah. Right? Or the other way around. Maybe it's the yeah. correct melody, and but then, it sounds but because it's being played against a different sure. chord, yeah. it comes out as dissonant. Yeah. So, and that seems to fit in with that broken theme. Yeah. Right? And also the idea that we're splitting the song. It's broken into, into parts. Yeah. And it's got to lean back to the whole psychotherapy kind of thing. We yeah. are broken. There's a, I, I really like the guitar. It's kind of got like this siren sound that it does at one part. The, the singing, everything kind of draws up in Broken. Isn't it funny how time flies is sung? Yeah. And there, there is a very brief pause, and then we go with the piano of Head Over Heels. Yeah. But so even though the, sound, the sounds aren't overlapping. Yes. But... It totally musically sets it up for the next song. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a a part of a larger. Yeah. There's just a short gap between songs and it's right into the next one. Head over heels. Starting with that piano. And yeah, this is an extremely iconic intro. The way the song. Yeah. The song knows what it's doing. Yes. Yeah. I know what you mean by that. Yeah. And between that guitar solo. Yeah. And the synth and their interplay. Yeah. There. It's just a, a great intro. I really like the bass line in this song in yeah. particular. Yeah. It's a walking bass line, but it's very melodic, very catchy. It's it's uh, it pins, it holds the song together. This is a rock song as well. You've got Manny's playing the drums for this song. This is not <laughs> just something that's tracked through it. Let's throw yeah. in some some beginning stuff here. Um, released as the fourth single in June of 1985, went to number 12 in the UK, number three in the US and number 11 in Canada. So surprisingly, this wasn't a number one, like thinking of the two, this should be like shout and this one, right? Should be number one, but, but not, not as much. This was written way back in 1983 or thereabouts um, as an, as I mentioned, an intermission uh, to go into the middle of broken. Yeah. This song knows what it's doing as much as I think they, they were trying to make shout that anthem. I think they really were throwing their whole bag of tricks into this song. You know, they've got like that that sing along la 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 thing. Like yeah. if you if you want to make a hit, you make it so everybody can la 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 or doot 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 along with you. Yeah, and they've got that going on in here. Yeah. 
the Psalms in A major, yeah. but does this trick of going playing G major, so like the major seven, mm-hmm. and normally you don't have, like if a Psalms in A, yeah. you would not have a G major in it, but they do a lot of that. Uh-huh. And then actually it shifts, the chorus does go to G major. Yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of shifty, tricky kind of stuff happening in this yeah. song. Yeah. I think I asked you before we started recording if you had watched any of the any of the videos from this album. I I haven't recently. No. Okay, everyone, this is what you you don't do this when you're recording a podcast. You don't tell everybody to stop and go and watch the video for this song. <laughs> I'm going to stop and make Robin listen to this okay. because I think it's going to inform the rest of our discussion on okay. the song. Did you enjoy that, Robin? That was enjoyable. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. I, when I started watching it, then I started remembering a lot of this. Yeah. Them being in the library and this whole. <laughs> yeah. There's some neat stuff going on in the song and neat stuff going on in the video. So I just kind of wanted to, to make you see that before we were talking about it. So we've got Ian, the keyboard player. So like you, you yeah. can see like Ian's the odd man out. And yeah, it's he kind looks, of. He sh- like he should be in. Uh, in Brian Adams' band or yeah, something instead. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's it's neat to think that the guys are all just having fun, like making fun of yeah. themselves as they're doing it. And like Ian comes in to do his keyboard solo. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe he could actually play it like that because he's just this, sliding between This goofy one-finger solo sliding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, so it's cool to see, you know, this is the guy who is like a main creative force in the band doing his at, thing at this time at least yeah, yeah at least at this time yeah and we get to see manny doing his thing in the background there he's a smaller guy and yeah. as you notice yeah his his grip is way down at the end of the stick so he's got his you know maybe it's kind of theatrics for the video <laughs> and stuff but he's going all over the place flailing with about with his drums yeah yeah but but having a whole lot of a lot of fun there love that synth solo oh, like, yeah. This is one of those songs where you got a lot of things going on in it as well. And it's like you get a song number two in this song, but that's later on. Um, yeah, there's there's even like vocals that I hadn't even noticed um, kind of hidden in the background, like around the two minute mark. Um, if you're watching the video, kind of when he's floating up to the second floor of the library, um, he's saying something like, oh, what does it matter or anything like that in yeah. the background there haven't noticed. Um, oh, and here's a bit of trivia for you. Yeah. Guess which country that video was filmed in? I don't know. It was filmed in Canada. Was that, it? That was filmed at the University of Toronto. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Like It's that kind of iconic... Uh, library, yeah, gothic that, library, yeah, and, thing. and it is that a Ghostbusters reference, you know, when, when he pulls out the card yeah. catalog and all the cards are coming out, yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, so the whole video is, you know, Roland is just in his really awkward, nerdy, nerdy way trying to get a date with the cute librarian or something like that and there's all these people just wandering around the library doing the things it turns out that kurt's the janitor and and manny is he's got his his long beard yeah the the black suit and the long beard and the beard yeah yeah, and then he turns out to be the drummer and yeah so lots of fun and the credits have uh for backing vocals sandy mcclelland 
Okay. Yeah, well, she's uh, the singer on, on Shout. Okay. Annie McCaig and Marilyn Davis. So three uh, vocalists, okay. guest vocalists. Yeah. Yeah. Nice slidey bass. Yeah. Yeah, this has got all kinds of good bass parts. This is definitely, what am I trying to say? This, this has the most interesting, interesting. bass yeah. parts to it. Yeah, yeah neat. Um, of course, we just watched the single version of the song, but the album version, um, after about four and a bit minutes into it, you kind of go back to Broken again. It, it yeah. cuts back to Broken. So that's what we were talking about, this song being sandwiched in between the middle of Broken. So it's like, yeah, like two songs for the price of one type thing, but only on the album. Funny how time flies, does this big phase, the, his voice goes whoosh. Yeah. And is that the same as the end of Broken? It's, it's almost like a reprise of the original song. Yeah. And on the album, it says it brackets Broken live. Yeah, that's right. So is that really live? I don't, I don't know. But, know. But at least there's that live cheer from yeah, the crowd at the very at the end. end. There's the cheer, yeah. Yeah, which always sounded a little bit stilted to me, but, yeah, like, but still. Like maybe they just kind of slid it in there. Yeah. As a, yeah. But maybe, maybe it really is a live recording. I don't know. And that cheer kind of lends into the the whole suite of the second side. Like it just seems to bridge into that final song. Which is called Listen. And it's the longest song on the album. Oh yeah. 648. Woo. Nearly seven minutes. And Kurt gets another chance to sing lead. He does. To earn his keep. Very atmospheric. Got those operatic voices going on. Is there another key change here at the start of Kurt's vocals? Yeah, they seem to be going the synth intro in A minor, but they're doing that thing where they're doing the minor one, but the major seven, mm-hmm. which is like the weird, you know, seven chords, a weird chord. Yeah. So it makes it feel like, what what key is this in? Yeah. When you throw a major seven in, it's like, was that the one or is that the... Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes into the verse and there's interesting percussion mm-hmm. and these sparse kind of computer spacey yes. kind of sounds. Yeah, more things to plug into my brain. Yes, <laughs> programming Darren's brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of sequence drums in this one. Yeah, it's just a real atmospheric song to end the album with. Yeah, it's it's fun to think of, you know, such a popular album and something that I loved so much as a kid, having so much real different stuff and and having like a side B or a part two that is just this one kind of a sweeping epic the sweet yeah. yes. and then ending with this weird thing here too and yeah yeah but still really enjoying it that that's right in the middle of all this computery kind of keyboard stuff there's uh more prominent guitar riffs again mm-hmm. and 
Um, and there's lots of the female vocals uh, credit to that. Well, it's interesting. They have Marilyn David yeah. and Marilyn Davis on the credit. So presumably this isn't two different Marilyns. Okay. Different, Just a typo. One is a typo. Yeah. <laughs> but the there's it's called operatic vocal. Her credit is for okay. operatic vo- vocal. Yeah, totally. And so all these, there's a string break, like this break with strings in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that. Alakali watch uh, say what, yeah. what are they saying? Yeah, you, there's that chant. Like it yeah, kind of chant. finishes the song on this chant. So yeah, I I looked it up, and this it's actually just Spanish. You know, it's not oh. that exotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like made up gibberish or anything either. And I ran it through Google Translate. Yeah, Google Translate says, "Birthday girl, no need to worry." Oh, this is kind of like shout again. Yeah, I open the album. In a way that it is kind of a simple structure okay, yeah, sure, yeah. with many, many variations. Yeah, that's right. So, Robin, I have two questions for you. Oh. What's your favorite song from the album? I tend towards Head Over Heels. Yeah. Just because I really like following that bass line along. Yeah. Head Um, Over Heels really has a lot of everything in it. Yes. Like it's got the fun guitars. It's got the great bass. It's got a really neat keyboard part. Yeah. It still feels anthemic, even though it's not shaking your fist at the man from your nerdy overcoat type thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'd probably go for that. But like working hour has so much going for it. Mother's Talk really is a neat song. Yeah, for Just, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. and as, as I've said, I really like Broken, but I think that I would probably have to go with Head Over Heels yeah, as too, well. Right? Yeah, 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 for sure. I took a look at a list of top albums of the 80s, and, and maybe we can kind of end on this one here. Yeah. Slant Magazine uh, listed their 100 top albums of the 80s. Do you care to take a guess as to whereabouts this might fall into it maybe maybe i can give you a, a few other positions along the way to see where okay, you can okay. kind of gauge things sure you give it a little bit of thought at 94 we've got u2's war okay uh, yeah um at 78 we've got bangles different light walk like an egyptians from that album yeah. we've got a couple elvis costello albums in the low 60s and early 50s okay. tracy chapman's uh self-titled oh, album yeah. is at 49 uh peter gabriel's so is at 41 appetite for destruction is at 37 madonna wow. um is at 33 joshua tree is at 24 wow where do you think that it might fall Wow. Where would you put it, do you think? Well, compared to all those ones you named. Yeah. I like the Tracy Chapman album a lot. Yeah. But, uh, and I really liked Appetite for Destruction hugely at the time. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah. Like you can understand how that would be at, at 37. Yeah. And maybe would this be above or below that? Well, now I would put it above all those. Yeah. So I put Okay, up, here's here's you know? here's okay. not the top 3. I don't know why I didn't put number 3 in here, but number 4 was The Clash's London Calling. Wow. Number 2 was Purple Rain. Number 1 is Thriller. Yeah. On this list. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it would crack the top 10 of albums of the 80s? I put it right around number 10. Yeah. 
Slant Magazine says 95. Oh, get out. I know. So I went and I took to, took a look at uh, Rolling Stone yeah. to see where they placed it. And and they've got like a whole bunch of different things. They've got like Culture Club and Tom Petty in the 90s. Yeah. Neil Young's Freedom at 85. Cindy Lauper in 75. Um, they put War at 50. 20, we've got The Pretenders. Number 13, Diesel and Dust. Oh, good. They throw Thriller at number seven. Joshua Tree at number three. Purple Rain at number two. The Clash is London Calling at number one. Number one, wow. Rolling Stone does not rank no. songs from the big chair in the top 100. What's wrong with that? I know, eh? Travesty. Yeah. So. Yeah, so maybe there is something about this being nerdy and English. Maybe. Yeah. That excludes it. Yeah. From those snooty kind of yeah. lists. Yeah. So there you go. Songs from the big chair. Songs from our childhoods growing up. 80s. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to our memories of songs from the big chair. What do you think about songs from the big chair? Did you grow up in the 80s listening to the song? Is this something you've encountered later on? Or this album? Or Yes, this album. What do you think about uh, Slant Magazine rating it at 95 and Rolling Stone just snubbing it all together? Oh. oh. You know how we feel. Yeah, if you do enjoy Darren and I talking about music at this extra kind of nerdy level, <laughs> just we do have a podcast called Comfortable Place on the Couch, which is about focused on Midnight Oil. But I've had some people who aren't even really fans of Midnight Oil in mm-hmm. particular who still listen to it just because they, I don't know. Maybe it, they like listening to us. Maybe they just enjoy. Maybe the music yeah, analysis about, or yeah, whatever. Exactly, yeah. I don't know. The same place that you can find Grown Up 80s, the easy place, darrenfolds.com slash podcasts, will help you to find a comfortable place on the couch as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case. And we did, if you're a newer listener, we took a deep look at the Ghostbusters soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, some time ago. So you'll find that in the old, just in case you didn't hear that one. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on Growing Up 80s. We invite you to share your memories of songs from the big chair with us on Twitter. You can tweet me at Darren Folds. And I'm at 8-Bit Show and Tell. And we have a Growing Up 80s Twitter account, Up 80s because that's not difficult to say on the <laughs> audio podcasts. We also have a Patreon where for any monthly donation, you can get access to our exclusive patron-only podcast. And if you give us more, you get to ask the questions for the bonus podcast. Yes, it's very exciting. Thanks to all of our patrons. Thanks, Ian and Andy and Chris and Per and Justin. Check out our YouTube channel for occasional video content as well. And for Robin Harbin, I am Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. I, I, oh, okay. Just for your amusement, I'll try to say it. Um, Complienos chico no he que presco parse. <laughs> Oh, Chapo Chico, no, he got up quicker. I said, Okay.
Oh, wow. It's a wonder we still have a podcast. We haven't been shut down by the Podcast Commission of Canada. Pod- yeah, they, 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 well, just wait till they hear this one. <laughs>